welcome to the Res Publica podcast. Hello, Lyndon. So today we're going to be talking about the stimulus, get stimulated. First, a disclaimer. By no means is this to be viewed as a financial or a financial information show. This is merely for entertainment purposes. For example, GME to the moon, right, Lyndon? Of course, diamond hands. Diamond hands, that's right. So let's talk about the silver squeeze. And we just made an observation that it could just be misinformation, right? Yeah, I mean, as someone who has been on the Wall Street bets board for all of a week, definitely a hardcore expert at this point, the silver thing seems inorganic in terms of the discussion relative to GameStop and AMC. When you see GameStop, AMC, Nokia, and some of the others discussed, it's a lot of memes, a lot of jokes about diamond hands. Whenever you see silver, it's not discussed as much. It's with more skepticism, and there's no memes. And frankly, the, the lack of memes really makes me feel that silver has been manufactured into this discussion next to these other ones, which were organically invested by Wall Street bets. But silver, to me, seems like it's being slapped on for some reason by journalists. Well, no, I think it's just lazy journalism because most journalists don't do journalism. Like, they don't cite sources, like actual sources. They just copy and paste what they see on their Twitter feed and they get a 15-minute explanation of what a short squeeze is. Oh, because I have a friend in finance. Your friend in finance works in IT for JP Morgan. He's not an actual trader because there are rules to this game where you're not supposed to disclose information, sensitive financial information, to a person that could artificially affect the market, like journalists. Right. For example, lawyers are not allowed to trade stocks if their firm is a client. So if you represent, you know, AMC theaters, you know, in a uh, property dispute or a leasing agreement dispute, you yourself as an attorney cannot trade AMC stock. I did not know that. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> yeah, bro, there are rules to this Well, game. I knew there inside information. Did never never thought about it applying to lawyers, so that makes complete sense. Yeah. So I mean there are like all these boned out like lawyers that just completely missed out on the YOLO moment that was GME GameStop stock trading as high as three seven I mean, I'm, I'm even coughing. It was trading as much as $371. So in essence, here's the explanation of what a short squeeze is. Lyndon, you're a broker, like Robinhood. Mm -hmm. I'm a day trader. Mm -hmm. I am gonna borrow a stock of GameStop from you for 30 days on a 30-day contract. My speculation is that at the end of that 30 days, the value of that stock will be less than the value that I borrowed it at. So at the end of 30 days, I'm going to go out on the open market and actually buy the stock and then sell it back to you plus a fee. So if the stock is at $1.17, which it was, I'm going to pay you 10 cents on that. But my speculation is that the stock will fall to 70 cents. So I get to pocket, you know, 37 cents. Minus the 10 cent commission that I have to pay you back on. This did not happen. No. <laughs> because of Wall Street bets. Because, uh, for example, this 10-year-old girl in Texas was gifted 100 shares of GameStop stock. She rode that pony all the way until last Friday, the 29th. 
and she ended up making three thousand two hundred some dollars after taxes, which is awesome for her. Which is great for her, and it's great for a, a, a lot of amateur day traders that got into this game early because they followed Wall Street bets. And you cannot restrict the free flow of information, and it. it Maybe a topic that we'll discuss later on about cancel culture, but for the longest time, financial institutions and hedge funds have control or had a monopoly on information and have also been the purveyors of disclosing that information to the general public. But when there's no longer a filter for that information, and when there's actually a strategy, and it, it can, it's not collusion because, you know, 3,400 people that bought GameStop stock 14 days ago at $1.17 did not collude with each other. They just all read the same forum on Reddit. Yeah. You know, and they capitalized on it. And to the chagrin of a bunch of hedge fund managers that were gambling, because that's what a short sale is. It's gambling. Yeah. I, I shorted the S&P last year because of our pandemic, <laughs> our lack of competent pandemic response. I got murdered. But it, it seemed like and I shorted in late April, early May. It seemed like at the time this was going to drag out longer than investors, which had pushed the market back up in March, had yeah. shown. My mistake was two things. Underrating Robinhood, which just washed the market with money because people were at home and had nothing to do. So people were investing basically for the sake of investing. And a lot of the people affected were small businesses that are obviously on the stock exchange. So a lot of the bigger companies did okay or did great depending on their industry not many got washed out unless they were already on the edge so where my bet failed and it was a bet it was a gamble was that we wouldn't respond to the pandemic well i was right technically but financially i was very wrong uh, you know there's with because of those two things so it's i mean the sh a short is a gamble now obviously it's still somewhat of an investment it's still based on information but I mean, obviously, generally, the market goes up. So if you're betting on it to go down, you have to have a pretty strong conviction. No, absolutely. So that is how we're going to open the show, and we're going to talk about the stimulus. Yo, this just in, breaking news. Pete Buttigieg is now going to be the Secretary of Transportation, officially. And what was his vote margin? 86 to 13. Bro, who voted against him? Well... I mean, it's like everyone likes Buttigieg. You can't pronounce his name, you can't spell his name, but he was like, on the whole, like extremely likable. So we have Blackburn, Cassidy, Cotton, Cruz, Haggerty, Hawley, Langford, Marshall, Rubio, Rick Scott, Tim Scott, Shelby, and Tuberville. So, okay, so these guys can now be outlined as the super conservative wing of the Republican Party. Yeah, which surprises me that Shelby's in it, to be honest. Well, Shelby's just old. He's just yeah. old. He don't know no better. Yeah, he no. might be anti-gay for all we know. He could, so be. Old, like, he could be. Yo, man, times are changing. It's 2021, right? You know Shelby used to be a Democrat. What? Yeah, he flipped parties in the 90s as, like, you know, Democrats became Republicans in the South. Because, you yeah. know, there was that old South yeah, yeah, yeah. Democrat. He was, like, one of the last ones to switch. And he basically just switched out of necessity. But that's also a reason I've never thought him as a hardliner because he at least used to be a Democrat. Well, you got to keep track of these 13 uh, Republicans because these 13 Republicans are probably also the Republicans that propose 
giving people a thousand dollars rather than the full fourteen hundred dollars in the stimulus. No, these are guys who don't think we need one at all. Because there's only I think there's only ten Republicans that think we need a stimulus at all. This is the extremely dangerous uh, game that Republicans are playing. That they're going to go back to their old playbook. They don't know that you know Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl, yeah. and Tom Brady's going to burn you. Okay, <laughs> you, you can't play the power eye against Tom Brady and his defense. They're going back to the same trope and strategy of George Bush. The father, 41, as we like to call him, who had no idea how ordinary Americans live. There's this great meme of him at a grocery checkout line, and he didn't even know what a grocery scanner was. And this was in 1991. They're completely out of touch with how bad the economic situation is out in those streets. It's rough in those streets. Yeah, and I mean, to, to go on top of that, What's been an amazing, I guess, propaganda job is that these Ivy League guys like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley have moonlighted as average guys who are hard rightist. But they're, you know, they, they probably wear makeup. Like, they've been pampered their whole life. And yet they, like, act like they're, you know, Grizzly Adams over here. But they somehow pulled it off with the help of Fox News and OANN and all that to have this duplicitous coastal elites rhetoric while going to the same schools as coastal elites and running in the same circles, frankly, even socially. Maybe not now, but at least up until the last five years when things got more aggressive. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, I don't really understand. The reason that Republicans lost the Senate, and I'm a Republican, I'll tell you outright, is because the two Democratic candidates, Warnock and the other guy. Ossoff. Ossoff. I'll always forget your name, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> Respect. Um, they ran on elect me and I'll get the stimulus passed. The stimulus became the issue of the runoff campaign in Georgia. Well, I'd argue there's two issues. It was the stimulus versus election fraud. And one, one message resonated about three percentage points stronger than it did in November. And that, that, that was Republicans focusing on election fraud and Democrats focusing on the stimulus. Yeah, but election fraud ain't going to make you vote in an election. I know. That's you know, what I know. You know, I was just saying. That's they didn't even talk about the stimulus. They just talked about election fraud. Election fraud. I mean, it, it's like you got to design a campaign. You got to design a strategy that's going to win you votes and it's going to bring more people onto your side. And the stimulus it brought people onto the Democratic side, and it's it's pulling people away from the Republican side because it has now been a full ten months of this pandemic, and the Republican president didn't have a plan. The Senate Republicans don't have a plan, and up to now, oh, they have a plan. That means to give you less money, you know, to pay for your bills. But it, and this is kind of a, I wouldn't say necessarily just Bush 41 playbook, but at least Republicans in my lifetime to some degree, especially in the last 20 years as they've become less and less sophisticated, is wait till the Democrats release a plan and then do half of that and say that's your plan. And say you're trying to curb government spending and watch the deficit. And guess what? Kind of worked in 09 when they did it to Obama. Obama really wanted to cultivate the image of being bipartisan. While Republicans pushed him down, 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 and then still didn't vote for it. And Democrats learned after getting burned repeatedly, and then especially in midterms in 2010, voters don't respect bipartisanship. No, uh, Joe Biden learned. 
This has been the education of Joe Biden. Because Joe Biden has been in office longer than I've been alive. And I'm 46 years old. <laughs> and he realizes that he is the living legacy of the Obama administration. He has to secure and he has to lock down Obamacare so it never goes up to a one-person vote. You know, John McCain dying of cancer comes into you know, the Senate, flips the finger, and says no. He didn't, he didn't flip the middle finger, he flipped his thumb to say no, and he, and he said no with authority when the Republicans tried to repeal Obamacare you know, during the Trump administration. And Biden has got to start doing something for the American people. You know, when Republicans talk about, you know, uh, fiscal responsibility and the debt, when they're out of office, it's the same as when Democrats talk about the environment when they're out of office. It's, a, it's an issue that can, um, it's like a free pass. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, what, are, what exactly are you saying and how are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. How are you going to cut greenhouse emissions and how are you going to create green jobs? Well, I don't know. You sounds know, good though. Sounds great, you know. I mean, I, though I would argue 40 years from now, that's the biggest threat is we don't do jack shit about the environment. We don't know how. I know. Now that's what, but I do think we didn't know how to get to the moon and in 10 years we figured it out. Oh, yeah. If well, we decided to prioritize carbon destruction, yeah. we could figure it out. No, but the moon is a great example because in order to get to the moon, you have to fundamentally believe in math. Yeah. And everyone has to believe in the same math. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we believe in a, a world now where they some people literally think Trump won California because votes were stolen. <laughs> yeah, but Trump winning California has nothing to do with the environment when if the state of California wants to eliminate gas-powered vehicles by 2035, you have a low middle class and a working class that can't afford a $40,000 Tesla. Right. That's outrageous. How are they going to get to work? Especially because they don't live in the urban core. They live like in the, in the, in the low-end suburbs. Well, I think you'll see two things. You, GM, I don't know if you saw, GM announced they're eliminating gas-powered vehicles yeah. by 2035. But GM, how relevant is GM really? I mean, they still sell they a sell, ton of cars. They, they, still sell, sell, they sell a lot of cars in the Midwest. Right. They don't sell a lot of cars in California or New York. Right. I mean, that's pretty pretty much ceded to the imports, to you know, Japanese and Well, Tesla's, a, Tesla's American, and they, they sell a decent Tesla's amount. Tesla's American, <laughs> but Tesla's out of reach. Yeah, you no, know, that's fair. Tesla, for now. Yeah. You, to be fair, Tesla was only selling $100,000 vehicles this time 10 years ago, so they very well... Yeah. They've gotten down to 40, 50, depending on how you price the... It's the S, yeah, right? Yeah, 40, 50, but we're here in downtown Los Angeles. We just have to you know, walk a couple of blocks you know, to that street, industrial street, oh. where all the cars are on sale. Yeah. You can buy a car for $600. Oh, I mean, well, that market's always going to be used, though. There's, yeah. no, there's never a new car, but I do think... I think whether it's inflation or the cost gets down, the equivalent of a $25,000 electric car will be here by 35 because that's yeah. still 14 years away. And I think, to me, to, that's the, the price point. I don't know that you're going to be able to get a new car for 20000 no. if it's electric. No, but I mean, twenty five, I think, is attainable. Because you still, you still have to make a profit. Like car dealerships, even all the services attached uh, to cars, they have to make a profit or else that's the whole premise behind our inability to create these green jobs 
you can create these green jobs if you have a government subsidy. But if your profit is within that government subsidy, what happens when the government subsidy goes away? That's the reason the solar industry never really took off in the United States, because manufacturing costs were so high, because labor costs were so high, that the Chinese just dumped panels into the United States to destroy the domestic market. Completely obliterate the domestic market. Uh, Tesla's big plant in Northern California, Fremont, California, used to be the Solyndra plant. So let's read these jobs, these green jobs. So I, I can't find the statistic, but I know there are more green jobs in general in the state of Texas than fossil fuels, which is kind of surprising based on how people campaign in this country and how people discuss it. You would think green jobs were, let's say, 10%, just based on the rhetoric compared to fossil fuels being 90%. Nonetheless, I Googled Texas green jobs. To work for the state of Texas, you can see that their priorities are not on the environment because the Texas state... Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. Here's some of the price or the uh, salaries for job openings. An aquatic scientist makes $3,400 a month. So more or less, what, like $44,000 a year? make as a cashier at uh, Walmart. Exactly. And you're a scientist, so it's, I assume you have to have some kind of degree. Well, you have to have a master's degree. I mean, it's got to be competitive. To be a contract specialist is $3,500, more or less the same thing the scientist is making. This is where it gets great. Now, if you're a budget analyst though, now you're 4,600 to 5,800 a month. Oh, great, you're a car salesman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> then you make, you make as much as a car salesman. Yeah, maybe there's, your job is to figure out how little you have to care about the environment if you're the budget anal analyst. The enforcement coordinator, so the guy who's showing up trying to get people to actually follow these laws, he only makes 3,200 a month. So you can kind of see where the priorities are and aren't, at least in Texas. It's, hey, what's the sketchy business sounding job? Oh, let's pay them the most. But you also have to take into account that the cost of living in Texas is much less than California. For sure, but 44,000, I mean, if somebody lived in North Carolina in 2008, even in 2008, like 44 would have been nice, but it's not. But I can start a family. I like, mean, where the green jobs are gonna come first are gonna be in blue states, like New York and California. That, uh, that Walmart cashier job where you're a scientist mm -hmm. would be $84,000 in California. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, you still don't make enough to pay down a mortgage on a house. You can't buy a house yeah, <laughs> if you, you're in you, LA City. County, there's some places, but yeah. LA City is still pretty price prohibitive unless you go to the Valley. Yeah, exactly. And we all know what we think about the Valley. Yeah, this is not a valley-friendly part. We, we like you guys, but we don't want to We really like you guys. I mean, it takes about as much time to drive to the valley as to take the ferry boat to Staten Island. Yeah. <laughs> I'd argue you could fly to Phoenix faster than you can drive to the valley. Yeah, you could, dude. It's 45 minutes to Phoenix. Yeah, and sometimes drive to the valley is longer than that. You know, I, I wonder if there's a guy out there who's actually pulled it off, <laughs> living the dream, living in the suburbs of Phoenix, you know. Flies in. Flies into Burbank. Goes to work at a studio, then goes back home. I, I used to know a guy who lived in South Carolina and would flap to Jersey for his job once a month for mm -hmm. a week. He would spend a week here. Ended up not working out because it was too expensive even to stay in Jersey one week a month. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, one of the big problems with manufacturing in Los Angeles is that you can't hire quality engineers because the engineers, they pull down about 133000 a year. Mm -hmm. They... Can't buy a house. 
they are probably living in an apartment. Unless they're married to another engineer who does better than them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. So that gets us to the stimulus. This is why we need the stimulus. Yep. Because without the economy being fully open, you have restaurant workers, you have small business owners, you have the services like laundry services, hotels, hotels, dry cleaning services, and even gas stations. Because traffic has been so light, even in February 2021, we see a little bit more traffic, but it didn't take me any time to get here at all. Yeah, it's closer to normal, but it's not normal. No, it's, it's far from normal that, you know, a $1,400 stimulus would be a boom to a lot of people. To a considerable amount of people that live in Los Angeles, $1,400 is what their take-home income is after taxes. And did very well that captures a bigger group now than it did 12 months ago because exactly. of people being without a job or on reduced hours. Exactly. Um, and Republicans sound so out, like they're going after the stimulus in a time when people are desperate, frankly. Yeah, so that's why we started the podcast talking about Wall Street bets and, you know, um, pilfering hedge funds. Because honestly, what do we care? Yeah. Dude, if you're not trading a, a public pension in a hedge fund, you're just playing with house money. I I do think too that this is there's definitely definitely built up resentment from away that is rebubbling up again. And I think you're going to I don't know when you're ever gonna see OA resolved because people didn't go to jail and the rules didn't change that much. Um, obviously some rules change, but frankly, even if you weren't happy with the accounting changes after Enron, and I know accountants didn't love it, but People felt like the people at Enron were punished and that type of doing business was outlawed. Mm -hmm. Nobody feels that way about OA. Everybody feels like everybody got a pass. Mm -hmm. And, you know, families lost their houses. My dad had a friend who committed suicide because he was a project manager in construction and he had to lay off crew after crew after crew. And it got to him. Now, obviously, that's not the answer, but. Oh wait, really damaged a lot of people in a way we're still dealing with, and even as we're dealing with COVID. Oh, it changed people's entire career path. Yeah. You know, and it was only during the Trump administration that most men I knew were finally making the same money they were making back in 2008. You know, uh, if we look through rose-colored glasses at the Trump administration before COVID, everybody was making money. It was a happy time. Yeah, I, the kids in cages thing really bothers me. Well, uh, <laughs> Jose Biden mm -hmm. has we in the Latino community call El Presidente now. Mm -hmm. I've officially transferred the title of El Presidente <laughs> to Jose Biden because uh -huh. uh, Jose signed an executive order ending uh, family separation. And they actually created a task force to reunite uh, these unaccompanied minors with their parents here in the United States. So go Jose. Yeah, and unfortunately they haven't been, from what I saw, they haven't united any families yet because it seems like it was, they made it intentional, they destroyed the paperwork, they did whatever they could to make it as hard as possible for people to reunite kids with their parents. Well, in some cases there is no paper trail. So, I, I mean, um, not to be pedantic about it, but we can't say that a crime was committed if 
there was no evidence of the crime. You know, we first need to be sure that there was documentation. If there was no documentation other than your name, age, and country of origin, and no social worker was actually involved in creating a case for these kids, we could have a whole generation of lost children. Well, and the, the thing is, too, and Adam Sower, the writer at The Atlantic, I think he's the first one to say it, was the cruelty is the point regarding the Trump administration towards illegal immigrants. And that, that was really the case. This, I mean, this more and more has come out since his administration's ended, where basically Stephen Miller designed it to disincentivize immigration throughout right. Oh, Stephen Miller is a resident of Santa Monica, California. I know. He, he has officially lost all of his LA privileges. <laughs> Yo, if when restaurants open up and bro tries to go into a restaurant, he'll be incredibly surprised that a majority of the hospitality workers are of Latin American origin. And don't appreciate his attitude towards their people. Indeed. Um, and on top of that, the other thing I, I liked from his executive orders and wasn't surprised about was rescinding the Muslim country ban. That was so weird. It was extremely disappointing that the court system, despite the amount of evidence from Trump's rhetoric, still said, oh, we can't prove that it was a racist policy, so we have to let it stand. Amazingly enough, it stood because they picked like three random third world countries to add to the list who weren't Muslim to say, oh, see, it's not a Muslim ban. And by the way, not that probably anybody keeps score this much, but when Trump did that, he said, we're only going to do it for 90 days to see what's going on with all these people coming from well, this country. Well, that's the same. So the whole, like, 90 days is the same as a task force. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, oh, we're going to have a meeting so we can discuss this. But if there are no action items born out of that meeting, then the task force ends up becoming busy work. It's kind of a way to table the issue. Oh, we got people working on that. You know, but okay, well, let's actually have a report. Um, so thanks, Jose. We appreciate it. Now, Jose's got to get serious about the stimulus because the Republicans ain't going to. Regardless, the Republicans don't want to. The Republicans don't want to vote for a stimulus. You worked in D.C. when when they decided to do reconciliation. I know it takes longer. How long will it take once they have to go down that path? Is that a month? Is that two you weeks? You want you want the stimulus to hit before the end of the first quarter. And you want the stimulus to hit before people have to file their income tax. Or else what you'll have, you'll have to extend the income tax filing date. Because most people are like, why should I pay taxes? You know, I need every dime I can get. That's true. Um, so, so, But can you do reconciliation that fast? Because honestly, you, you can do reconciliation incredibly quickly. This is all you need. A lot of coffee. Well, back in my day, it's cigarettes, but I don't think you can smoke in the Capitol no more. Um, and you just need 50 votes. And then Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker. You, here's my advice to the Democrats. Use extreme violence. Shove it through. Do it. Get it done. The spectacle of violence will frighten the Republicans. Because their approval rating is already in the bucket. It's already in the basement. You know, give them a negative approval rating. Because... The midterm election begins with the passage of the stimulus. If you screw up the passage of the stimulus, nothing you do on immigration, nothing you do on the environment, nothing you do on you know racial inequality in America is going to win. And frankly, 
what won the day in 2020 was the shift of white suburban voters more and more towards Biden, which began in the 2018 midterm. So that's going to be what they care about. Like yeah. you said, I mean, obviously, personally, I care a lot about immigration because I just think I have friends that are immigrants, but I understand also the average voter in suburban Atlanta probably doesn't care that much about it, unfortunately, or whatever. Well, suburban Atlanta is mostly black. Yo, it's a it's a mix. No, suburban Atlanta is Atlanta is the mecca of Black America. Oh, I know, but suburban Atlanta, there's like like I think it's Cobb County where the new Braves Stadium is. If yeah. you look at Cobb County, I want to say it's like eighty percent white. Well, yeah. There, there's count. Let's say there's a legacy. So there are five <laughs> counties surrounding. So, Atlanta is a wonderful example of the new segregation. You know, you have high end middle class neighborhoods. But they're all high-end middle-class neighborhoods, so the Lenox Mall and the Washington Mall, you know, are nice malls. Right. They're also majority black neighborhoods, and that's what. So real estate agents still, you know, divide people. And if someone's from Atlanta listening to this, I invite you, you know, to reach out to me and prove me wrong. But you know, if you've been to Lenox Mall, you know. I mean, it's. I'm not saying Atlanta's not. I'm just saying the suburbs are, are more of a mix, and it's they're extremely polarized. Yeah, they're extremely that too. Polarized. But even it, it's it was interesting to watch Georgia turn blue on the backs of those counties. Yeah, Georgia turned blue because of the urban core in Atlanta. It's, a, it's the same reason why uh, Colorado is blue because of Denver and uh, and Colorado Springs. Do you think Colorado will have any Republican state officials going? No, forward? I think we're. I think. Do you think it's wraps for them? Colorado's lost. Colorado is lost and Arizona is lost because of the amount of Californians leaving California and resettling in the Phoenix suburbs. Do you think the Arizona GOP is doing themselves any favors the, with censoring uh, Sidney McCain, the, Jeff Flake, the, and the Doug Ducey? The Arizona GOP is what the future of the national G- GOP is going to look like. It's just going to be a bunch of old people. But, I mean, does that mean, how, does the party shrink, or do you think they can the still... The party's going to die, because people are going to die. There's st- I don't know, I, I still have cousins that voted for Trump that are still riding there. We're, we're pro- in the, uh, in, most Republicans will tell you we're approaching what's called an extinction event. An extinction-level event, where there will be whole swaths of the party, both in uh, membership and in f- fundraisers. Mm-hmm. Like the the Cox brothers are are dying. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I I do think too. T Bone Pickens is dead. It'll be interesting to see if these rescinded donations continue past the first funding quarter. Because yeah, I don't. They they have better things to do. You know, um, honestly, you they have to look long term at their own legacies. If they're going to fund hospitals, if they're going to fund libraries, if they're going to you know, place their families in a position of influence. And that may no longer be the political route when you had a billionaire that ran for president. The, the most alarming thing at the very beginning when Trump was running for office amongst Republicans, if we allow a billionaire to run, what incentive do you have as a small, as a successful business owner to donate to the party? Right. This guy's got a billion dollars. And yet, he's one of the been an amazing fundraiser because he yeah. gets 
the average Joe. Now, he yeah. doesn't, obviously, he's terrible at corporate donors. Mm-hmm. It looks like he will be. We'll see if they actually come back or if they stay gone. But he is great at getting the average Joe, Joe to throw $50 at his legal fight and then yeah. not spend the money on the legal fight. Yeah. I mean, no matter how much proof, that's the other amazing, almost cultish thing for our discussion with Nap about like the hardcore MAGA QAnon people is you can sh- show them till they're blue in the face that he's conning them and they'll, they're still along for the ride. Well, Trump, for the QAnon, and we'll bring Nap back on the podcast to talk about QAnon, and I hate to say this, but Trump is kind of their messianic figure. It's the, oh, the figure sure. that they can organize around. And he is not going to be impeached. Well, he was impeached by the House. He's not going to be expelled. He's not going to be expelled or convicted. For him to survive two impeachment trials, okay, and still be a force in the Republican Party, his mere presence will energize that crowd. Though I will say, to their detriment, his approval rating fell after the Capitol attack and even after he lost the election. Yeah, but who... who does this approval rating? Who are they reaching out to? Oh, I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, it's like the polls. The polls are skewed. But even if they're, they're skewed, they're, I think they were regarding Trump. So regarding Trump and the polls. Yeah, I think what you see with his skewing is, let's say it's off five points. So if his disapproval rate is fifty-seven percent, maybe it's fifty-two in reality. Nonetheless, I do think that shift that was shown is valid. So maybe if polled, 37% of voters approved of them in December and then it dropped, I think, to 33, maybe it really dropped from 41 to 37. But nonetheless, I do think you saw a shift because we had the Georgia election and the Georgia election polls were pretty much dead on because they most of them averaged out to show a two, one, three-point victory for Ossoff and Warnock. Okay, well, Ossoff and Warnock, I I am fully of the conviction that they won because Mitch McConnell didn't pass the stimulus package. Oh, that definitely... I don't know if they won on that, but it clinched it. We'll put it that way. We will never know (laughs) the alternative. I know. I I mean, all Mitch McConnell had to do was put it to a vote, vote on it, and then you wouldn't have been able to give Warnock or Ossoff a talking point. You know, deny them the advantage. And for all the class president skills that, you know, Mitch McConnell may have, it failed at this point. And or his undying commitment to the rich is what failed him because he'll never if this was a tax cut, he would have gotten it moved heaven and earth in 12 hours. No, no, absolutely. They're not going to need more tax cuts for a while. Taxes are going up. They, They have to. I mean. This is going to be unpopular, and maybe I should wait till Libby comes on to bring this up. But like, we are going to have to care about the deficit at some point. We don't have to during COVID because the priority is to make sure people can eat. But if we want the U.S. dollar to remain a reserve currency, we can't run multi-trillion-dollar deficits every year. That that's just and now the tax cut for the rich is what put us here. But no matter whose fault it is, Democrats can be left cleaning it up again, whether they want to or not. Yeah. So that, that's where we leave it. So next time we get together, we're going to have a full podcast with uh, Michelle and Libby. It's going to be exciting. That is great. Yeah. All right. Everyone take care. Bye-bye.